0: The podcast, the only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musicians.
1: From Los Angeles inside the computer hell cabin, the coolest name thus far. Maybe the
2: coolest studio.
1: (laughs) This is Score the Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Holmes, back and recharged with my co-host, Robert Kraft. Hey. And we also have <laughs> not as recharged. <laughs> he took a nap. Uh, we're also joined every week by our executive producer, the Mash Raider Matt Schrader. Hey Matt, Woo-hoo! there's Chris back. <laughs> he's excited. He's,
0: he's he, this is exactly my feeling being back.
1: Woo-hoo! We wow. uh, we took a little break. We. Are glad you stuck with us. Hopefully, you're all caught up on the show. There's so many inside jokes. We want to make sure you guys know what we're talking about. Two
2: words for you Jordan Bieber. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we're very excited about today's guest. He's an award winning composer of Mad Max Fury Road, Deadpool, Black Mass, Tomb Raider, Batman vs. Superman, The Amazing Spider Man 2, 300, Rise of an Empire, The Dark Tower. So many big movies, big, big movies. And also video games. Uh, FIFA 18, for those getting over their uh, World Cup hangover. Uh, Forza Motorsport, Madden 16, Need for Speed, Pro Street. So many.
2: And just an incredible artist in every sense of the the word. Truly incredible as a composer and a contributor to... The world of film scoring, the world of dance music. Everything, uh, yeah. He's, really interesting. He's
1: Tom Holkenborg, a.k.a. Junkie XL. And JXL. He goes by both. We're going to clear up what he prefers, because sometimes you see it as Tom, sometimes you see it as Junkie XL. So, And in Mad Max, it was Tom Holkenborg, a.k.a. Junkie XL. So hmm. we'll get to the bottom of that. Also on today's show, we're going to review our Emmy locks. We gave our locks matt made a bold statement saying he would be willing to bet <laughs> that we were correct so uh M- matt might have to pay up we're going to talk about the emmy nominations for score and tv shows and everything uh that uh, unfolded in the last couple of weeks how did we do plus another chance for our audience to win a fabulous prize we're going to be playing name that score with name junkie xl that score what's the topic today matt Blockbusters, number one films at the box office for the
0: last 18 years. These are all 2000s, number one films, so...
2: Most people have probably seen these. Is Score the film documentary that we made, is that one of the number ones? I I, last?
0: I, uh, I wish it was. I have to go back and look.
1: <laughs> Maybe documentary for film score fans, number one.
0: Yeah. Maybe we'll do documentaries, and then no one will get the answers. From music from documentaries. <laughs> also, Love we have a,
1: a special little segment that I don't have a little bumper for, but uh, Matt will give us his summer, summer TV, TV review, review. Oh,
2: <laughs> it's Thank nice you. Drop. It'll be epic. I'd be very curious. This to hear. is uh,
0: just a few shows, a couple that uh, maybe haven't lived up quite to the hype, a couple of those hanging in there, and then a couple that I love. Um, so uh, stick around for that. We'll visit that in just a second. But um, Kenny, you were talking about vinyl records.
1: Yeah. So if you guys follow me on social media, sometimes I post when I'm spinning something. But um, I've I've definitely been roped into the excitement of vinyl over the past couple of years. It's a big boom. And there's actually some new numbers out for the first half of 2018. I don't know if you know this, Robert. Is this breaking news? This is. Let's head over to the the anchor (laughs) desk. Uh, Sales for vinyl are up 20%
2: in the last year. That means four vinyl records have been sold.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. it's a lot more than that now. Like, digital downloads are even down because streaming subscriptions are up. So Mm. that's true. That's pretty amazing that vinyls are are up. So they're actually outselling... Digital music because people that are listening to digital are paying the ten bucks a month for Spotify or iTunes uh, to stream or Apple Music, I should say. Um, And also, it's interesting to note too that on July first, Best Buy stopped selling CDs, Mm -hmm. but they're still selling vinyl. So, like CDs are now the minority. And vinyl is back. Incredible. Which is really cool. Yeah, why, why is that? Why is it, it, it? I admit I don't totally get the vinyl thing.
0: It seems like the quality isn't probably... I mean, I've heard people say the quality's
1: better on those, but that can't really be the case, can it? Well, I, I mean, I don't know if if you spin a vinyl at home. the It's so much... It, it sounds completely different. It's a lot more rich. There's more low tones. Um, and some of the cool things about vinyl, for one, the artwork... Um, it really brings back looking at an album cover. I mean, when right now, if you download a song, you get this little thumbnail on your, you know, a lot of time is spent on some of these album covers and you don't get to see a lot of detail. Plus, they come with posters and the lyric sheets. Liner notes. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And even, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mondo. Mondo is this uh, Austin, Texas-based company that releases uh, classic scores that are being re-released and they have these really cool artists redesign, you know, for example, like I just got the Jurassic park one a couple of weeks ago and there's really cool artwork on those. So it's almost like a conversation piece. If you have people over, you're playing the physical media, plus people sure, can come yeah. through your, your library and see what you have. You know, we're in this age now where you, you pick and choose every song and you don't actually listen through entire albums and stuff. So I think people are starting to get appreciation more of, going through all that stuff. And plus vinyl, it lasts forever. I mean, if you go to a used record store, you can get so many. I mean, Robert, you you probably, you lived through the the first vinyl.
2: It's so interesting. First of all, of course, my introduction to being a recording artist was making a vinyl record was the destination to actually see your record on vinyl in a sleeve in a record store. And those became the trophy, so vinyl became great. You know, I was maybe two weeks ago cleaning up my attic. It's one of those things that I've resisted doing for about six or seven thousand years. I found <laughs> what the it's called the mother, which is the vinyl that your album is pressed from for my first album, Mood Swing, and one of the things I remember about it, forgive me for sharing, was it had a smell of vinyl in a way that, you know, the commercially produced vinyl, mass-produced records, I don't know if I remember. You need to get a copy of this. It was really amazing because it brought me back to the day I first was given The Mother, which they had pressed the record from, and it had this really incredible kind of chemical smell and it was physical you could hold it it was so exciting I is think there, vinyl's uh, tremendous.
1: is there anything better than the hunt to like going into the store and you could spend hours in some of these record stores just thumbing through and and you're almost like finding a treasure maybe it something treasure. that means something to you yep. but you know instead of just searching a word because you, you might stumble on something you weren't even looking for oh,
2: i love is- that you compare it to searching word because you're right you can google something but there's also, you know, it very much applies to hip-hop and electronica now. Cause yeah. finding a rare sample and, and, and sampling th- a groove is...
1: Another thing to note, too, cool. is that if you buy the the vinyl, some people say, oh, well, you can't take it anywhere. But most of the records now that are coming out, these LPs, they come with a digital download, or if you buy them on Amazon, they, they download it straight to your account. So you can still have the digital version, but you also have the cool physical record, which is really fun. And... It gets you getting up off the couch every every 20 minutes. That's so nice.
2: I love it. I wonder so- if 45s will come back. You know, I one of the things I found cleaning up the attic is I have a lot of the 45, you know, the big hole in the center that I grew up with. And uh, it sounds like I'm dating myself, and I am. But those were <laughs> really
1: valuable to I, me. I came across it. So one of my favorite bands, Death Cab for Cutie. I, they had a tour like five years ago where they, they actually wrote all their songs with an orchestra, and hmm. they toured. And I was like, I can't wait for the album to come out. Never came out. Always thought about it. Man, it would have been so cool to hear that. It turns out they released it on vinyl only. So huh. in the last couple of years when I had this record player, I found the vinyl and That's great. so happy. So they have really cool special editions that are released only on vinyl too. So. A lot of reasons to be into it. It's a really cool thing, and um, especially if you're a soundtrack collector, uh, companies like Mondo and a, a lot of these independent labels that release so many. I would assume that there's more scores being released nowadays, too, just because of the ability to you know, put them out digitally and also independently, but a lot of cool stuff out there. The announcement they
0: made for uh, for Jeff Russo's Star Trek Discovery—that's the coolest looking vinyl that I've seen. Oh
1: yeah, there's such cool like plat the the vinyl. The actual records are are in these really colorful splash of color. It just, it looks... And now they're doing that with the, the actual pressings, too. Yeah. They're making
0: it out of, like, these crazy, melted colors. A lot of the Mondo melted ones. Colors.
1: My Jurassic <laughs> Park one is, like, orange and red, like, blood orange and red and black. It, it looks really cool. I, I highly suggest getting into it, checking it out. Um, it's it's really fun. And and then, again, you, you have something physical to look at and things. And thumb you through. interact
2: with the music in a way that's very different from clicking on a link
1: it's a cool sign mm-hmm. of, of things. That come. Plus, I, th- I would imagine the artists get more from it because these streaming services, I, I know you've read some of these articles where they're not getting as much money as they used to if you buy an album through the or, or if you're streaming versus buying an album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking down. And Our, looked up. It's just... I was just looking at <laughs> my
2: bank account to see if this is actually true.
1: <laughs> On that note, Matt, I think it might be time. For what? For Summer TV Review. These are a few. And
0: guys, feel free to chime in on these. I don't know how many of these you've seen. I, I have my list out here, and I want to work in reverse order because there's some great— te- This is like the best age to be uh, I- I accessing TV. There's so many different networks. There's so many different TV
1: shows. There's something like 600 shows, original series that are out. How many times a day do people go, are you watching so-and-so? And you're like, oh, I oh. haven't got – and they're like, what? It's the best show on TV. There's so many. There's not even enough time in the day. So, and, and a lot of them are really,
0: really good. Now, some of them don't quite live up to the hype because the standards are, look, 50 years ago – the, the TV shows weren't that great. Like, they were for The Age, but they didn't have The Breaking Bad back then. Right. You know, so it, it's a completely different standard. But now, some of these shows are really... They're standouts even for today. So I got a couple of my favorites... First off, I want to start um, with a couple that I haven't been that impressed with. The first one has virtually no music. That's Arrested Development, the last season of that, which was very... It just came out... Um, was that the recut one? No. They, oh. So they did... This is a weird thing. They. I've never seen this done with a TV show before, because the first three seasons of Arrested Development were, were cult hits after the fact. The ratings weren't that great when it first came out, but then went on, I think, Hulu maybe first, and then Netflix, um, and Netflix made a fourth season... It didn't do that well. They changed the format a little bit. And then they decided they were going to do a season five, which is the one that just came out. And uh, And what they did in the process was they cut that season four. They chopped it all up and structured it in a totally different way. They actually reshot a couple scenes for that, but made it into basically a different presentation of the same story, um, which it actually helped it quite a bit, in, in my opinion. But season five that just came out... Uh, I think John Powell says it best. Sounds like five pounds of cheese. It's not the uh, <laughs> not the greatest show, so uh, I'm I'm giving that a, uh, I'm giving that a thumbs down for now. I don't know if there's going to be another season. There's rumors of a movie, which oh, I'll check that out. But uh, but season five of Arrested Development, eh, I'll pass. Um, another one that I really liked uh, the first season of was Amazon's Goliath. I'm a big Billy Bob Thornton fan. He's great. He won a Golden Globe for his performance in the first season of this. Um, the second season didn't, wasn't anywhere close
1: to what that is. Do you, either of you guys, have you seen Goliath? I haven't, but I've heard exactly what you're saying where the first season had a style and it, it went a certain way and then they they broke from the the style of season 1 and went in a completely different direction. It was really in the first
0: season there's I won't give anything away because it's worth watching, but the first season uh talked a lot about this this big conspiracy. There's this corporate conspiracy and uh, you know, a company that's involved. It was a little there's a little kind of cartoonish elements, but um but it was it was really good drama. Really good performances. It was it was truly fresh. Um pretty fresh (laughs) (laughs) i knew it was coming and uh (laughs) and and it it really worked from from start to finish it was a really good show the second season changed that a lot and it feels like a law and order episode that's been stretched out into so it it, the stakes aren't there the you know there's a lot of other dramatic elements the acting isn't really you know they they kind of jump the shark in a few ways so it's not uh it's not what season one was Watch it just for Billy Bob Thornton alone because he's he's fantastic. I'm yet to see a show that he's not great in. But um, but that's another one that uh, that I think we give. Uh, Sounds like five pounds of cheese. Five pounds of cheese. Oops. Um, so we're moving on. <laughs> Is this our new rating system because I love it. <laughs> five pounds of cheese and then uh, and then pretty fresh or woohoo uh, or woohoo or well I'll, when we get to it I'll use I'll uh, I'll I'll give you another one. We used it in the last episode uh, from Chris Beck. Another little bite that he gave us. Um so it it's a couple shows that are are kinda hanging in there and I've upgraded one of these. Uh, but the first one's Cobra Kai on YouTube. Um the karate kid Yeah, it's basic it's basically a right? spin-off of that. Um and that's the only reason it's really kind of interesting. Uh is because I, it ties into
2: something else. I don't uh know much about the show other than the composer mm-hmm. actually contacted us to say He'd love to be part of score. He's a fan. Oh. So I think and the I music's told him, cool. Thank you. Yeah, uh, the music's cool.
0: Um, the The show is like in that that middle ground where it's it's this is not the best TV right now, but it's entertaining. It's, it's season something. one, right? It's season one. So, so it's you know, finding we'll its way, maybe. And ultimately, most of their audience is going to be people that know the Karate Kid from something. So it, and it's Ralph an, it's enjoyable. And Ralph Macchio's in it. He's in it. And, so you uh, have that nostalgia so it's okay. points. Um, so uh, I, we need a sound effect for that one. I don't have one for that. But uh, we'll just give that a... Uh, awesome. An awesome, I guess. <laughs> a Kenny awesome. A little mid-range Kenny awesome. All right. Um, and then uh, the other one that's kind of hanging in there, I've upgraded this one, too, um, after being downgraded at the start of the season, Westworld. Now, there's a huge fan base on this. The music... Ramin Djawadi does of great course. music for this, and, and it's really, really interesting. Ramin Djawadi, <laughs> pardon me. Um, he does great music for this, and, and it's innovating in a lot of different ways. But this is – it's a genre that people have talked about as puzzle television, which is they're constructing out of a script, not an arc that you really follow directly. Yeah, it's but hard, a yeah. bunch of question marks, and then you're supposed to kind of figure out – how those question marks kind of connect with each other. And most of this last season was spent on them giving you lots of questions and you figure it out. And it was meant to try to, I think, obscure where the show was going. So no one really got it, and it kept people around. But in my mind, that kind of, you know, the the ratings dipped a little bit this year. I think a lot of people caught on to that. Um, it redeemed itself a little bit with a, a, an episode they did late that was kind of a backstory on one of the hosts. Uh, in the park um and then the very last episode put things together again so n- now i'm on the hook for season 3 keeps, i'm going to have to keep it watching keeps it keeps a lot
1: of discussion which is probably why there's like 8000 podcasts called Westworld
0: yeah there's quite a few podcasts um that that try to you know figure that stuff out and it's actually interesting on there've been several conversations on reddit news stories about this that uh that people are figuring out a few of the things that the show is doing and they've actually rewritten parts of the show so people oh, don't wow. know it and I, I don't know if if that's maybe the best approach um, but it's interesting people are tuned into it um, so I'm on the hook I'm hanging in there for a season three um, but really I want to see that show take off um,
2: what's interesting about season. when you hear the chatter that oh Westworld isn't understandable or isn't everything I thought when you have so many choices, yep. What should I binge on? I mean, I was all focused on Westworld, and we're going to do it, and this is—I can't wait till the second season. And somehow, right before I stepped in, somebody said, "Oh, you know what? You may want to wait a beat." Yeah. It's—it's. It's <laughs> do you ter- get affected by that? Uh definitely. When you have so much to choose from, well, there are four others. I, I'm really interested in and well well, one of those
0: i know we've talked about we're going to get to that one
2: that you're you're into and i am too
1: i'm actually going against my policy and listening to what you're saying on all this stuff because normally i just pull the the frank costanza from seinfeld approach and go i want to go in fresh leave me alone (laughs) i don't want to hear any don't say anything yeah well, P- no, no spoilers here. I'm not going to spoil any of
0: the fun. But, um, but it, overall, Cobra Kai, Westworld, I'm hanging in there. I'm okay, in there. we'll okay. see. We'll I'm, see where I they go. I might
2: give it a shot after hearing awesome. that. Now to- awesome. Now two. Awesome.
0: That was almost exactly the same. Well, same it's me. Sonic property. It's <laughs> me. But even the the intonation there. Okay, Kenny, you're an expert at this stuff. Um, you're so- an expert at being you. Be- I'm the best. <laughs> the best Kenny we have is Kenny. Uh, so these are two. Now that I love, these are two that have really grown on me. One of these is a new series. Um, this is the terror on AMC, which is a really interesting. This is a lot of the same people that are in the crown on Netflix. Mm. Is this the um, one you were
1: tweeting about?
0: Yeah. I, so I, I tweeted about this uh, earlier and the show is phenomenal. And this is such a board. So I was so bored with the, the synopsis of this show, which it's, this is part of an expedition that was done in the 1850s by Britain to try to find a trade route through the Arctic. So mm. th- they were just trying to find some channel in order to do that. The problem is these two ships, one of those is called the Terror, gets stuck in the ice. Oh, so wow. So they're way up in the middle of nowhere, this, you know, two ships full of people, and they're, they're stuck there for years and it ends up you know a, a lot of people die in the process they encounter these these what they think are are polar bears and some local tribes eskimo tribes and why don't they
1: just make a phone call and i
0: know you, you would AAA. think someone would have brought a cell phone or something with Text. Them, like somebody <laughs> but it's a really intense series and there's some some kind it's one of those series that's doing something that's truly pretty fresh and they're bringing in some almost supernatural elements that are still to this day mysteries about mm. what happened. They only found this ship a few years ago. Mystery. <laughs> it was it was something that was uh, was. It's a really interesting show. All the performances are fantastic. It's it's I want the to check AMC it out. I spared no expense it. on this thing. It's a ten part series, and, uh, and the whole thing is really really good. It's a little bit scary. Good. It's not a horror. Series. It's a drama, but it's intense. These are people that are fighting for they their live, lives. and the They market. live
2: in tents or they live on the ship? They,
0: they're living on the ship. And then no, you so know, the intense. ice starts to push no, the ship. Ships. <laughs> right. Sorry. No, the ice starts <laughs> to push swinging <laughs> into the ship. So it starts to break the ship and they have to figure out how to get out of it. Anyway, it's a really interesting series. That's probably uh, my favorite for the year. And then the last one, Robert, which I know is a big fan. You're a big fan of this one is
2: The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. I am addicted to the show. I think it's unbelievably well-written. What did you think of the series finale, Robert, that happened? That's, I haven't gotten there. <laughs> Constanza, don't tell me. Um, I, I want to go in fresh. I haven't <laughs> gotten there, and I can't wait. It's like saving you know, the best piece of the dessert for the end. But um, I, I'm stunned by how good the show is. I'm, I cannot say enough good things about it and i love the music too the music's great
0: and and the same way with the terror it was a a young composer that actually uh i had kind of a freak accident and the composer of the terror died a couple years year and a half or so ago during production of the show that's a very electronic kind of sound that's in there that's doing some really it's 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 a shame that uh that Sometimes life happens that way, but yeah. The Handmaid's Tale too is uh, is something that really uses music to tell a story um, and to emphasize things that are really good. And frankly, the story is great. Now, it got a little. It's trying to tie into pop culture quite a bit, maybe breaking a little bit of what is so good about The Handmaid's Tale. But really, I'm on the edge of my seat when I'm watching that. So that those are two of my favorites, and uh, I think uh, Chris Beck has uh, an opinion on both of these shows.
1: Sounds like five pounds of intense and amazing fun.
0: Yes. <laughs> so that is uh, Matt's summer TV review. Nice review. review. Summer,
1: summer TV summer review. review. Very nice, Matt Schrader. Speaking of uh, great TV shows and and music, um, coming up next week, we have a new episode of The Inside Track with Dr. Sulan Tan, and it's a really cool one. It actually even mentions Seinfeld. Seinfeld. My yep. favorite show. Um, but it talks about TV tunes and timbre uh, and how the different show themes, especially, um, take you into that world and really create the world you're going into uh, every time you start up the show.
2: Yeah. I had actually thought about this, but you know that theme from Who's the Boss? That is, I'd say, the timbre. I think the, the,
1: the timbre the really takes you into Tony Danza's house. Oh, my goodness. It's just kind of amazing how it <laughs> transports me back. All jokes aside, <laughs> most of those shows, like once that tune hits, because, you know, throughout the shows, the music might be different, but that starting theme song to play, sometimes, you know, they have the option on Netflix to skip ahead, but I never do because I like to get in the zone. <laughs> you play the classic theme song each time? <laughs> well, not. A, I mean, I'm talking about any show. Yeah. Some of these newer shows, uh, you know stranger things i always let Love the that. opening play because it gets you in the zone it Big brings question. you into the world
2: game of thrones do you let it, the whole oh sequence you gotta go? let that oh play. of course good yeah. you
1: gotta let it that shows away. the map you know where you're oh, going the map is so great yeah so that's a really cool episode stick around for our uh new inside track that's coming next week next week from dr Sulantan called tv tunes and timbre
2: what does a lumberjack say Lamber. <laughs> I don't know, Robert. Timber. Oh, Tim. Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay, oh, we'll geez. be right all back right,
1: after okay. this. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about our Emmy locks. The Emmy nominations came out during our summer break, so we want to get you all caught up and find out if we were right or wrong and uh, how we fared. Two words for you Jordan Bieber.
2: Right on. Stick around, we'll be right back. Hey guys, Robert Kraft, and I'm inviting you to check us out on Twitter for the latest from the show, giveaways for Name That Score, videos, maybe even a new track from that pop superstar, Jordan Bieber. Check out our handle on Twitter, at Score the Podcast. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to this extended edition of Score The Podcast. We're going a little bit out of our normal run down here because of uh, we took our little summer break. Changing and, it up a little bit. Yeah, and when we were gone, the Emmy nominations came out. Just before we took the break, we gave you our Emmy locks, and now we're going to see how we fared. And uh, I think, Matt, are you going to run through some of these? And Yeah. And we'll, Why we'll, do I get, we'll, get
2: hungry when I hear you say Emmy locks? That just sounds so... <laughs> Like a delicious thing that we should have served while we're well, running this down. Listen, we all made our, our, our locks, our sure thing. Maybe we should say that instead.
0: For uh for shows and for score, the the original score
2: um for our, our Emmy nominations. I can't remember, did we actually make any wagers around this? Because- well Matt Matt made a bold uh <laughs> claim or
0: Well, looking at the results, we may have to uh, – I don't know if this turned out quite as well as we thought. Uh, Well, let's give it a shot. How do we do? uh, We'll review this stuff. Um, So here's – we'll go through the dramas, the nominees for drama, then the nominees Mm. for comedies. So first off, our locks for shows. Robert, you said Handmaid's Tale and Atlanta. Definitely. Kenny, you said Game of Thrones and Atlanta. Cheaters, you guys copying each other's answer, duplicate answer. I think that only counts as half. Uh, and I picked The Crown and Westworld for dramas. So the nominees that we had this year were The Americans. It was their final season. The Me- Crown. Neither of us. The Crown, which was uh, one of my picks, so I got one. Game of Thrones, of course, Kenny. Kenny's got a point. The Handmaid's Tale. Definitely. Robert got a point. Stranger Things. This is Us. And Westworld. Oh, oh wow. So uh, the only person that got two picks out of that is uh, yours truly. Well, uh, you,
1: what was my other drama pick? Atlanta. You didn't make another drama pick. You oh. made a comedy. pick. You no did comedy. two drama picks. Yeah. So what's your com- so you don't have a comedy pick then? So that uh, wasn't part of the uh, part of the rules there. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's dial it back. Name up <laughs> that rule book. Okay. Uh,
0: so nominees for comedies then, mm. uh, so that you guys can maybe, maybe yeah uh, earn your points back. Silicon Valley, Barry. Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, Glow, which I didn't think of as a comedy.
1: Glow, I, thought I didn't that was, think of it That's as, what's weird about the whole comedy thing. It's like if there's a couple punchlines in there, mm-hmm. they can sneak it in. It's, it's weird with the Golden Globes too. They do that. Yeah, there's a lot of sometimes, kind of weird crossover. What was the, there was a movie a couple of years ago that was I remember for the Golden Globes, and everyone was like, "What." Yeah, I can't remember what it <laughs> Saving was. Saving Private well, Ryan, no. as a it comedy. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. No, it was The Martian. The Martian. Yeah, one that's, for, the, uh, one. that's
0: the one. Musical or comedy, I think. And yeah. Ridley Scott got up there and was like, uh, "Thanks for <laughs> this." Is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Glow, uh, Blackish, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon, and Atlanta. Atlanta.
2: Yeah, of course. That's the winner.
0: <laughs> you guys both get a point there. So our score so far: Robert one. And a half points. One and a half. Kenny, one and a half points. One and a
1: half. What or is this? What is this half point? I don't understand.
0: Uh, you both picked Atlanta, like geezers. oh, okay. we got to split the point. You're you're docking us. And man. Matt, two points. Oh, Ooh, <laughs> pulling ahead. See how I did that?
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. So then those we are up- some tough categories. Tough for the shows, and man. Great, some great shows. In Curb that. was so good this last season, and uh, there's a lot of good
2: comedy. Glow. Yeah. I've,
1: I've watched a few episodes of Glow. at... That was for the first season, right,
2: which was really good. So- yeah. I I checked it out. I liked Mark Marin. I liked both girls. It was good. It didn't it didn't like thrill me, but I I'm allergic to hype as those of you who yeah. work with me, and I came into glow thinking it's going to go Citizen Kane uh <laughs> to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> Every episode of The Honeymooners and Glow. It's the best show on TV. And I watched it with such a high expectation. I thought, yeah. like, it's okay. That is a hurdle. It, that, that's something that will rebalance, I think, with a lot of the streaming
0: services because yeah. they're outside of the regular system. I um, still
1: think Atlanta is just a runaway, though. Yeah. Complete. So
0: good. Atlanta is a great, great show. Okay. So that's our shows that we did so far. Then we have our locks for music in a dramatic series. This mm. is where we fell off. Now, Robert picked The Handmaid's Tale and Homeland. Kenny picked The Crown and Westworld, and Matt picked Legion and Mr. Robot.
2: So well, the- first of all, it's clear that I'm correct, uh, <laughs> just because those shows are so great that uh, the music is an integral part, so I must be right. Was well, I?
0: Well, uh, no. No. Uh, Emmy nominees for music in a dramatic series, Game of Thrones, uh, which nobody, nobody picked. I think maybe that was too obvious. Jessica Jones, Sean Callery. Once Upon a Time, Mark Isham, and nice. Cindy O'Connor and Michael Simon also. SEAL Team on CBS, WG Snuffy Walden and A. Patrick Rose. Amazing. I saw Snuffy, Snuffy the other night. I love that name. Shout
2: out to Snuffy. I saw I, him Monday night. Did you really? Oh, Snuffy's the greatest. And then this was an interesting one,
0: too. Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. Yikes. Who scored it? Kevin
2: Kiner. So <laughs> Good job, Kevin. We
0: completely <laughs> struck out. All uh, wait, 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 wait. And then Westworld. Yes. Ramin Javadi. So uh, Kenny got that apparently,
1: apparently, one. Javadi is two. So of the, all of our score picks, we only got one correct. And, and that, that was, was the Kenny. one we were talking about whether it would qualify or not. And clearly it does. Yep. So, so Ramin has,
2: has Game of Thrones and Westworld. He's competing against himself. I yeah. hope that doesn't split Dang. the vote. Two, two entries in, uh, in that category.
0: And, uh, I like those odds. Those are both shows <laughs> that could very well win. So yeah. so our final score Robert last place 0 1.5. Nobody's Matt, listening to me clearly. Two and Kenny pulls ahead. 2.5 points. Yes, the uh, the winner of our Emmy nomination. So we we got to make our actual Emmy picks coming up. We'll do that in a future episode. But but I crunched these two for name that score because mm. I thought it'd be interesting.
2: And I think we can blend Let's them see how in we're doing. to make my zero come up a kind of a blended. So today, score. now before
0: we before we play this game with Junkie through through the 15 episodes that we've done. Anyone want to take a guess at who's gotten the most correct answers?
1: so far well i'm gonna go with uh robert because he just cheats all the time <laughs> and the guests the guests seem to win the most so that's my guess
2: i am going to go with the guests the guests are the winners
1: guests have gotten 86
0: percent of questions right so far good second place robert 81 percent of questions right not too far behind and kenny 80 percent. A- so we're all in the 80s we're
2: we're pretty the good 80s. i'm
1: gonna have to make a change here today well, I just want to congratulate myself and thank the Academy and uh, for my picks.
2: It's uh, really it, lovely. <laughs> Can we bring out the trophy for Kenny?
1: <laughs> well, we got to get Tom Holkenborg in here first. Yeah, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, Tom's going to join us. We're going to dive right in. Junkie XL, stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, Match Raider here. Thanks to all of you who've supported
0: Score the Podcast with a monthly donation. Thanks to the amazing Jim Lane and Helen Lento, as well as Adam, Patrick, Xavier, Gracie, Emily, and John. As little as three cents a day helps us pay the bills, and right now you also get a free gift. The Blu-rays and soundtracks we used for the movie Score, a film music documentary in the Score archives. To join the crew, click donate at score-movie.com slash podcast or at score the podcast on Twitter. Back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Score the Podcast. We're here inside my favorite studio name thus far, the Computer
2: Hell Cabin. Yeah. And by the way, if this is what hell looks like, count me in, because it is one of the coolest rooms we've been in. It's been
1: portrayed as something so terrible for the longest time. If, If someone
2: can tell me that I would end up in a studio like this... Eternity wouldn't be long enough. (laughs) Uh, We want to
1: welcome in our guest this week, Tom Holkenborg, a.k.a. Junkie XL. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Uh, So let's clear the air here, because... Is it is it Tom? Do you go by Tom? Do you go by Junkie XL? What do you prefer out well, there? Well, you don't get born a junkie, do you?
3: So
2: I, you know what? There is some evidence that if your mother, yeah, yeah was yeah. addicted, so mine
3: wasn't. Uh, no, so yeah, it's 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 technically Tom, and then uh, Junkie XL became my uh, producer name in the nineties, uh, halfway nineties, and then when I was um, uh, putting out the Elvis remix, um, my agent had a. Uh, a conversation with uh, the lawyer from the Elvis estate, estate. And I said, well, you know, we just listened to the remix of Elvis. We really, really love it. So what's this guy's name again? And <laughs> so my agent uh, said, well, his name is Junkie XL. And it was like quiet on the other end of the phone <laughs> saying, you've got to be freaking killing shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So for that release, we changed it to JXL. <clears throat> ah. So that's been another name that we use if if Junkie is like too sensitive. Yeah. But um. I still do um, movies under the name Junkie XL if the movie is strongly rooted in pop culture. Uh, but if it's more like a serious drama, it's just Tom Holkenborg, like Black Mass, for instance.
2: Yeah, that's interesting that you make that distinction because, I mean, the music, first of all, I'm happy to, to share that the music we just heard that you're working on a new picture is as exciting as any music I've heard recently, not to mention of yours, but just in general. I really heard a new level of...
1: Yeah, it was incredible. I wish we could talk about it, but we can't.
2: Yeah, but it's just, <laughs> I can tell you that it, it, I think the best way to describe it is it's a combination of Junkie XL and Tom Holkenberg. I heard two things. I heard incredible synthetic sounds that were really inspiring and then full orchestra on top of it. And I thought, this is this is the new age of film music right here. Plus, compositionally, you is hitting it out of the park an analogy that we can use with composing? Because that was extraordinary what I heard. Those well, themes.
3: thanks a lot. I mean, for me, it's it, like without... Talking really about the movie, I mean we can 't say what we 're talking about it's it 's the Peter uh, Jackson movie production uh, Mortal engines but when uh, it me, comes out you said in Christmas, uh, Christmas. Uh, nice. in, in this in the same week as uh, Alida comes out, which is uh, Robert Rodriguez directing and uh, James Cameron producing movie but what 's interesting for me working on these two movies, um, working with these directors and producers um, um, I have the freedom to really you know, explore all these all these new things, which is really really great. And it feels for me also like a new time period, like where you're growing into like a, a new level of what you're capable of, and uh, better combinations of styles and 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 elements. And that's always great to feel that you you know that you grow as a as a composer or as a musician in general.
2: I think that you also are working with two filmmakers who actually exemplify the visual aspect of what we're describing. They use both computer generated imagery and actors kind of a parallel to yeah. synthesis and orchestra yeah so so all of you are working towards a new way of making art the other thing that you said that's really interesting is you said they both allow you a certain amount of freedom isn't it amazing that the directors who are at the top of their game are the ones that allow you freedom, where it's the young ones who are the most nervous. I don't know if the composer should do this. I don't like that. Is that right? The guys that are they hire an artist, I mean, I'm sure you get notes, and I'm sure there's conflicts on certain things, but it was just wonderful to hear you say they give you freedom because you think, wow, a guy that's that big, Jim Cameron or Peter Jackson, they're going to have specific, you do this, and don't vary from my idea. It's wonderful to hear you say you have freedom.
3: Well, I have been very blessed, actually, to be honest, because I always get a lot of uh, freedom. And then once, so what usually happens with me is that um, they let me develop the initial concept of what the score is, like whether the themes, the sound, and I make these really elaborate pieces uh, that I send to the directors. Um, And, you know, they give me uh, feedback what I usually would ask is like, do you recognize your movie on this? And with one or <laughs> two small, ex- <laughs> uh, one or two uh, exceptions out of the 20, um, they embrace immediately like the concept that I come up with. And and so that's what I mean, uh, creative freedom. Now, when it comes to actually scoring a cue to uh, to a scene, that's where the director becomes very important in guiding you what he likes to see and what is important for him and what is not important for him and um like i said i've been very lucky to be able to work with directors and studios who are very open-minded and um and even if they were not happy with stuff they were always able to very clearly let me see what they would like to hear there and what was important in the in the storytelling and Hmm. um because i i really noticed that um I liked film so much and that's why I I tried to make that transition into film like from 2000 on or so but we can chat about that a little later but (laughs) what I really understand from the beginning was that if you are going to do this and if you want to be good at this you need to be a filmmaker. You can't just be the music guy because that 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 communication is so important. It's very
2: important. You've actually just articulated what makes the greatest composers and I learned this from somebody that I know you work with and we're going to talk about it in a minute but Hans was clearly enlisted by the great directors to be a filmmaker with them and mm-hmm. he has great stories I'm sure you've heard them about working with Ridley on Gladiator and having well, and a lot ideas. of scenes are
1: created based on what the music is sometimes mm-hmm. they may have a new idea based on what they heard so as much as you are writing music, you're also creating scenes often, or helping them develop into something else.
2: It's such a high level of collaboration to yeah. work that
3: way. Yeah, in my case, that's because before sometimes they even start shooting, or sometimes before they start editing. <clears throat> excuse me, um, they have all these very elaborate suites that I made with all these themes and all these musical approaches, and based on that the 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 edit sometimes turns out different than what you have before it's always different when you come in three to five weeks uh, before the before the deadline and you have to deliver a whole new score or uh, and that's that's challenging and then you know it's a completely different process there's less experimentation uh, room there's less of um Oh, let's try this. Let's try that. It's all about like okay, every move you make needs to be on the money because otherwise, you know, the project doesn't get done.
2: It's so interesting and so, in a way, it's recent. The idea of creating suites and not sort of queuing a movie after the final. You know, nobody locks an edit anymore. But I wanna, I wanna ask about. You said 2000. You might have answered a question. As we both remember, and me very vaguely, and maybe you have a better memory than this, you came to see me at Fox. I know. I thought it was about (laughs) two and a half centuries ago. It might have been in 2000. And with all due respect, you were that day one of a number of people that came in and said hello, and you were just like, uh, you know, hey, this guy's a cool DJ from Holland, and somebody said you should meet him. And I listened to this stuff, and I thought this is cool. But you know, I get to see a lot of people who say, "How do I get into film music?" And frankly, I discount a lot of them because that's the last time they ever talk about it. They talk yeah. about it, it's and a then short you, idea, and they get out. And then they, when you say, "Well, first of all, you're not going to be making records. You're going to be listening to a director tell you what they like. You're not going on tour. Uh, you know," and I had done pictures with tom petty or eric clapton and they kind of find out halfway through wait a minute the guy wants me to come back and redo it a, a piece of music so i don't remember our meeting and thought cool guy and dug the music but and then p.s i think i was faked out because you were serious and I didn't know in that meeting tell me what you remember of that meeting and what happened next because you were clearly on a path
3: and And please tell us the truth you (laughs) can tell us how much you you think. who is this jerk (laughs) no I remember this uh, this meeting very well and um, so first we had a talk and then you uh, took me around a lot and then uh, John Powell was scoring I think Ice Age and, and you you brought us there and then to show that a little bit so um so, but what you said was re- really realistic in the meeting. You know, you kind of touched on it, and and I read under the under the lines what you were saying, uh, that you know this isn't easy. This probably needs like a whole different set of skills that you have right now, uh, and that's all going to change when you want to go into this, if you even get a chance to get into it in the first place. And I totally understood that. The thing though is that I technically already switched careers twice. Uh, my first career was. Um, Uh, Engineer producing in the studio. I started as an assistant Mm -hmm. engineer when I was 14. um, And I became the main engineer like by the time I was 16 and by the time I was 18, I was producing uh, international acts. uh, And there was a career happening there. And then I said, you know what? I actually miss making music. So I want to start making music again. So I decided to do that. In the late 80s, early 90s, that's when Junkie XL got born. Hmm. Um, I made a a bunch of different records, got signed um, to different labels, did worldwide tours. So by that time, you know what is required to get somewhere. So if if your eyes are eyeballing something, it's like, I really want that. It's like, boy, there's no sitting down in a couch and waiting for that thing to come to you. So that I knew. So... And then I started meeting composers in town, besides meeting heads of studios like yourself. And it became very clear for me there's no room for me in the front of the bus, let alone driving the bus myself. The only way to make this happen is sit in the back of the bus. And then time by time, you're able to move over a couple of chairs. Hmm. I make this joke um, uh, constantly to emphasize what the situation was. In the same year, I had a number one hit in 32 countries. I was in the basement of Harry Gregson Williams chopping up audio samples wow. for free, so that was that, that Her was a humbling uh, experience. No, but that was what what was required. And the same was when I quit uh, producing and engineering records, then becoming um, you know an artist, and then try to get signs. Well, labels are like, well, you know, we would hire you instantly to produce this band, but to sign you as a as an artist, you got to show us some stuff. So, and that was. I went through that for years and years and years. And in um, in 2008, um, I got kind of depressed that it was not going anywhere, and I decided to go back to Holland for a, a couple of uh, months. At the same time, I bought a house, and escrow fell through, so I also didn't have a house at that point, so all my Perfect. stuff was in, uh, <laughs> was in storage. It was all Everything was, like, coming apart. And I was just hanging out in Holland and think like... So what am I going to do is, like, I, I'm, I I don't feel like coming back. Uh, let's let's just pick up where we were here in Amsterdam and just start all over. And then it started itching after two months and three months. I was like, damn, I don't think I'd, you know, give it my full. Hmm. So I decided to go back and see what, you know, what L.A. was at that point in time. And I eventually found a house in Topanga uh, overlooking uh, Venice and Santa Monica and, and Malibu. Great view. And um, – something had changed in myself before that i wanted film scoring so bad that you know i was like you know a, a guy walking into a bar that i need to find this girl here tonight that i'm gonna <laughs> marry and is gonna give me 10 children you know over mm-hmm. the next 15 years then you have it written on your forehead and the last thing you will meet is the woman that you want of to meet <laughs> right. so i was analyzing like that and i was like you know what maybe i should just go back and in those four to six months actually truly i felt at the end of it you know what if i do become a film composer that would be great but if it doesn't happen that's fine too i i just have a great life i i work with all these different people that's great and from the moment i actually started feeling that everything started rolling for me like everything, and is it it's weird possible? How that yeah. <laughs> yeah, is it
2: possible that's like athletic in a way that when you're too tense, you don't win the races, and when you decide to just relax, have fun and with en- it, and enjoy it, and run, suddenly you're getting medals, and that's just perfect.
3: Yeah, well- and that's this exactly what happened to me. So I started then doing uh, some alternative movies uh, from from Europe, and then mm-hmm. um, I always had contact with with Hans, like because we liked each other, he respected. Uh, the, all the electronic records that I put out And um, what I've done in that in that industry And so we just met up again in, in 2010 Again, just for having a coffee And then he wanted me to work on something small And then that went well And then he wanted me to work on something bigger And that went well And then it just moved on and on And then basically with Man of Steel That's when I met uh, Zack Snyder and uh, and Christopher Nolan, who was the producer on that, that's when I had a really significant role, and that's how I got recognized by the studios. I got recognized by uh, Zack Snyder, who then, after that, gave me 300 Rise of an Empire. Yeah.
0: Was there a was there a moment that you encountered where that whoa that just happened that that this is my this is maybe my this big got me break. over the hump.
3: Yeah, I mean, like I really felt with with uh, working, you know as a as an assistant to hans for for man of steel yeah. it's like that was the moment where i was able to really show to not only the studio but also to zach and and to hans obviously you know this is what i'm made of and this is what i'm capable to 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 do and um once i secured uh, 300 rise of an empire then after that went really quick like then i got divergent and Uh, mad max and then black mass and then deadpool and it just went really really quick after that
2: i mean it's funny i see it i look at your credits and you can see that it just this, then one here then one here and then suddenly it's just how can you be writing that many where was um paranoia in that sequence because i think we have a cue from paranoia here Yeah,
3: paranoia was uh was a Um, a movie that I actually chased myself because I I read the script and the script was really good and then I heard about the cast and the cast was going to be really good Um, and then eventually I I saw the film and I did do the film but the the movie just uh, kind of fell apart in the process
2: I I remember hearing the score and I went and found some of the cues because I thought this is a new approach to film music too I mean this is straight up electronic but yes i thought okay this sounds coming into movies and i have to be sensitive to it and if junkie xl is now scoring movies which i remember thinking shoot that guy wasn't he on mic <laughs> sitting there I blew like it. I, I, that was my moment and he was the of those 10
0: meetings he was the guy tom something you said makes me wonder because we talk a lot we've talked with a lot of composers about their path and it's very interesting you know some composers have really kind of crazy paths to where they end up um, but you're hitting on a certain desire that you identified early on to score film to put your musical talents to work on a film what was it that drove that kind of that passion that you identified that you realized this that not even this that over there that's what I want to do I know I want to do it what what drove that passion
3: um, a couple of things for starters um, I've always liked films. And I always analyzed films for many, many different reasons. And the films primarily that I liked were um, uh, provided with a really oddball mix of, uh, of what music was. So I always felt if I'm in the right time at the right place, maybe there's room for me to do that, too. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, Shaft with, with like, uh, James Brown. We're talking about the first James Bond with uh, with uh, the John Barry arrangement yeah. uh, score. Uh, we're talking about, funny enough, Saturday Night Fever with all these, like, yeah. now classic disco songs in it. We're talking about Blade Runner with with Vangelis. I mean, those were the movies that were really special to me. Um, because of the use of music and how well it, it worked. So in my early days, I wasn't the one that would be all over Star Wars and things like that. That was just not really for me. Um, and um, then later in, in, the, in the, the process, I also started admiring more uh, the different uh, disciplines that make up a film. Uh, whether it's directing, script writing, it's the, the set design, it's the cloth design, it's um, the special effects. The last uh, twenty years that, that get added, and then of, obviously uh, the mixing process. Um, like I said, I was an engineer producer, and, and the mixing of the film, the final stage, and the dub is something that is so you know I'm so fascinated by it, and working with the with the dubbing engineers, how to how to make things better, how to make the experience better of the film, and um, so I, I thought there was hope for me uh, in particularly that world. And then something else happened at the same time. Like in the in the late 90s, um, when I was still having my junk excel career, um, I felt like I was really hitting a harmonic ceiling and a melodic ceiling. Like I was able to do stuff, but that was it. And that's yeah. when I really started fanatically uh, studying music theory and music uh, philosophy uh, to really get really into what makes things good and um, good sounding and what makes things emotional. And what's really funny is that when you really dive into it, that emotion actually can be quantified like what that Mm. is. And if you use that formula over and over again, every time people will say, that sounds so emotional to me. And then if you divert that path and you do something that doesn't follow certain rules, I'm not talking about rules like you should do this and this and this, I'm talking about rules that have been defined by physics, um, then people don't necessarily know what to do with that piece of music. And um, Bach has always been a master of that with uh, in, in his uh, time period. And... Um, So for me, theory became very important as a tool. Whereas when I was studying in my earlier years, I had theory too and and I studied music university for a year until I got kicked out. (laughs) Um, And um, so what happens is with, with kids that are so young and they get completely drilled and completely brainwashed with music theory and being very technical at a certain instrument, is by the time they're 25, 30 they still haven't figured out what their own voice is, like what they really want to want to achieve. And I think that's one of the reasons why in film scoring, you see so many people come from a completely different background. I mean, let's start with, you know, the biggest one, um, John Williams. You know, just like he was the keyboard player and the arranger for Henry Mancini. Yeah. And um, and I would just worked with Conrad Pope and he said, yeah, if you want to write like John Williams, just take any song and just like rearrange it and revoice it that's 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 what he does that's where he's a master at
2: so let me get this straight i could be if i just rearranged <laughs> moon river i'll be scoring just like switch John it Rams. around Still but you're hope. absolutely right no you know, it's, it's, he was johnny williams playing sessions yeah. in 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 la i don't think anybody would say this is the future of you know, the great film so, master.
3: So, so there's so, ma- there's so many com- uh, composers uh, working now, uh, currently in L.A., that have such an incredible, uh, colorful backgrounds. Uh, yeah. and, um, and they move their way into film and, and find, like, hey, you know, I have actually more creative freedom, funny enough, even though you're working on a film and you're working with a director. Like, for me, um, when I was music, making music on my own, it's Junkie XL, I'm going to use another analogy here. You would basically send me into a room, a really big room, that has all the different canvases in the world. It has all the uh, paint types in the world. Watercolor, uh, uh, oil paint, all the different tools. And then you would close the door and say, "Like, I want to make you a masterwork and I'll come back in a week. Th- those are the scenarios where I usually get lost. Now, in film scoring... I no could send into, it- I, I into a room. There's only one canvas. There's three colors and one pencil. And now go make your masterpiece. I love work. that. And that's when my brain goes on fire because with the limitations that I have, have rules, I seem to be structure. I seem to be stronger in, in my creative output.
2: Oh, I, I really understand that that there's something about an assignment and a structure and a deadline mm-hmm. that I
1: oh I have to I, have a deadline. I don't know
2: if it's age related because as a young Musician, you kind of love the freedom of, I'm going to make stuff up. Whatever I can, I'll write a song. But certainly when you realize that inspiration is often hard to find and what are we going to write about today, somebody says, "Can you? I need a piece of music for the girl to walk down the path and jump off the cliff. How's that? Um, In two hours. And, <laughs> and <laughs> then she gets caught by the hero just as she hits the
3: girl. Well, I have a quick follow-up, Tom. Did you really... Get kicked out of music school? Well, more or less. I mean, it's it, it, so I um, I studied uh, 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 drums and and jazz guitar, <laughs> and uh, the it was a small school in in the north of Holland, and there's a limited room there for students. So I, I did got admitted, um, and he always wanted me to practice the scales and stuff like that, and and I never really <laughs> did. I did like a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, so one day. Uh, I came in, and I did promise him the week before I would do my scales, but then I came in with a cassette, you know, all old days <laughs> cassette. So right. basically what I had done the two days before is I had written a composition for 100 notes. So uh-huh. I recorded 100 notes on the tape. Then I took the tape out, cut it in 100 pieces, and just shook it in a can oh. back out and just glue, glue it together like in, in a random order. So now we would play back the tape, some of the notes would be uh, reversed. Some of them would play back straight, Remix. and some of them would be uh, cut up, and then bits of it you would hear later. Do you still have it? No, because that's, ah. that's so it was just, Dada
2: or surreal. No, I
3: mean it was just just an interesting project, and yeah. Yeah. but something interesting came out of it um, because the, the the tape cuts were all the same length, yeah. so therefore they worked in time. And then on top of the playback of the cassette, I had. Uh, a tape delay with a certain time, so certain things would then repeat, like two notes after. On and so you got this interesting Ooh. harmonies and stuff. That's cool. And he didn't uh, like it. Yeah, I take. No, it school, I mean was he it? was he was like you know. Uh, where are your scales and uh, and then so I got into a fight with him and then I I um, I left and then basically he advised the board not to continue with me so I could potentially have studied for another Loser. year but I made it but they, yeah that made it very difficult for me he is
2: uh,
0: regretting it today it's interesting though those those challenges like there's so many people that have some kind of musical idea that isn't embraced right away
1: and, of course. and there's something to it. Well yeah, but you're you're not, breaking the mold. You're doing others. something different. And if you're not following the path, sometimes the yeah. the I mean, heads don't like it, but then I've,
3: you start something new. I think no, we, but the thing with music music education is and I think it's it's a whole lot a whole lot better. Uh, at at this point, but the the, the problem with music education is, is that music has always been very popular, but now it's on the brink of a whole new level of popularity because it's so easy to make music yourself. Uh, you know, any computer that you have basically comes with like music making yeah. software on uh, already on there. Right. Um, so it makes it a lot easier to to do that, and therefore the demand of proper music music education on a college level is also. Uh, on the rise and all these colleges try to um, feed that demand and so that was the same in Holland that was the, the 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 classic conservatorium what we what we called it it's like if you wanted to be a violin player or uh, a piano player classic classical So they just, two years before that, started the school where you could now learn jazz. And that was (laughs) like, woo, that's (laughs) like, that was like so sexy that we now had a, and this is like way into the 80s, you know, just like no synthesizer stuff, no jazz, a music that had been around for a good 30 years, 40 years already, you know, so they finally caught up to, oh, maybe we should start teaching jazz. And now you see that same development happening on Uh, electronic music so now you can go to you know a college and you can study but you know i'm not sure if 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 that's the way forward or not but um students are really hungry and they want like more information for that so and that's exactly what happened to me and then after a year i was like you know what this is not for me I'll i'll figure this out myself
2: i think the irony is that now they're giving assignments to current students to take hundred little pieces of tape and cut them up <laughs> and put them back together <laughs> yeah, to no, show. No. Things have because, changed a little bit. Uh, no, but I think that you, I mean, there's something really wonderful in that story. Because it, first of all, shows you creatively being very creative. Uh, forget the assignment. You did something very creative. Tape yeah. delay and musically. And it's it,
0: almost as much about that, that aspect of, of having to figure it out. Yourself versus even if there are class projects now that might might kind of stir a little creative energy among students, that that thing that comes from an idea of like what if I did this? Well, no, like, great. there's some really interesting things.
3: that Well, from when that. I was when I was uh, 13, 14, uh, I had different instruments. At that point, I had a guitar. I had a um, I could borrow a bass guitar. Uh, I was working together with um, my best buddy, uh, who is a keyboard player and piano player. We were able to um uh, uh rent or or borrow a synth. But what we were short of was multi track. Huh. That mm-hmm. that you can borrow. You know, yeah. at that that's like before the four track cassette tapes came out and stuff like that. So I build a multi track myself where mm. Fantastic. um I was working also as a kid with um, a radio and TV shop where they sold cassette players, video players, yeah. you know, just like super small countryside yeah. town. But then there were cassettes that were not properly working cassette players, the front the front loaders, the, the yeah. ones, the hi-fi ones. And some of them were not working properly anymore. They would be traded in. And I would take them and then with the engineer that worked them, we would fix them up. And at a certain point, I had four. And then I found out a way how to synchronize the the engines in the four cassette tapes. So now I could basically put like four uh, cassette players on record and they would more or less run in sync. I mean, enough for like two, three minutes. And that way I was able to record... Uh, let's say drums on cassette one, bass on cassette two, multi-track, one synthesizer on cassette three, and then mix the three of them down to cassette four. And then I had like three left. You to are George more...
2: Martin with the Beatles you know, making four tracks? I'm, sh- I, I'm I sure you have,
1: have. You you have a ass- assistance now, but you still like to get your
3: hands dirty. You have all this equipment in here. You still plugging, doing your yeah. Own this, engineering? this stuff is not really assistant ready. You know, they they look at it with with admiration, but wouldn't know where Me to
0: start. We'll, we'll put a couple of pictures kind of showing everything that's in here. I don't know what most of this stuff is. But, it's <laughs> but I think and we'll talk a little about yeah, studio maybe. time, too, uh, which
2: is something you put together that's really cool. Yeah, we're going to uh, take a quick break. Up. We'll talk Before about studio we do, time. Uh, no, I think we're going to go out to a quick break, as, as Kenny said. But I just thought this was the first track of yours I ever heard. And I thought we'd go to our break listening to what might have been the evolution of cutting up 100 pieces of notes into a kind of new, vibey thing. This is Molly's E. I think it's good to go go out on a Junkie XL track. This is the first track you heard, Robert? This is the first one I heard, and I thought it sounded like movie music. And it kind of does. We're going to come back in just a little bit.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk Mad Max. We're going to talk about studio time. Stick around. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, guys, Robert Kraft, and I'm inviting you to check us out on Twitter for the latest from the show, giveaways for Name That Score, videos, maybe even a new track from that pop superstar, Jordan Bieber. Check out our handle on Twitter, at ScoreThePodcast. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Computer Hell Cabin, where it's quite cool. You would expect it to be hot based on the so name So this is kind of a
2: perfect it's
1: a cue. N- the air conditioning zone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For Computer Hell Plus, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was a lot of fire in this moment. Yes. In one of my favorite movies the last few years... Needless to say, and also one of my favorite scores.
1: Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. Uh, when we were doing score, a film music documentary, you talked about the drums and how you recorded them ahead of time, a bunch of different drums to, to go into production. A um, couple of questions on that. Can you talk about how that's important to you to have the actual musician play drums of, you know, the drums that you selected? And then w- was this an idea from the start? Do you go back and re-record once you get the layout, or does it stay that way? Like, can you talk about that process? Because it seems a little different from writing something, having an orchestra record it, and put it to picture.
3: Yeah, that's never going to happen in a, in a movie score that I do. So there, there's elements will be replaced, but a lot of elements will uh, stay as they are. And uh, especially with uh, percussion, also because I'm a drummer percussionist myself. So usually mm-hmm. I take care of all that stuff myself. And... Um, yeah, you just you know you get the drum instruments that you need for a specific um, a movie. So sometimes it's it's more, sometimes it's less. For instance, with uh, Tomb Raider that came out this year, uh, took place on a Pacific island, so I needed Pacific island drums. No, mm-hmm. those were not easy to get, and and eventually I found a builder uh, who built unique instruments from for for me from In LA? from the, and actually, well, I was looking everywhere around over the world, and funny enough, I talked to a guy. Uh, in Indonesia, at a certain point, and he reverted me back to the better instrument builder, and he's in San Diego. I wow. mean, like <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, that was a coincidence. But uh, for instance, for three hundred, rise of an empire, I needed. Uh, a bunch of hand drums and um, an instrument that's called a duff, which is uh, a very thin hand drum with, like, rings on the inside, and it makes up very snappy sounds, and you move the thing around, and it also creates a rhythm within the rhythm. Now, those are very hard to find, um, but then at the time, <clears throat> I had a Persian uh, assistant, Emad and he made some phone calls in Iran but obviously we couldn't do any business with Iran because there was an embargo but so we bought a few uh, hand drums they were smuggled into Turkey and then we got a package from uh, from Turkey sent to oh us. wow yeah so um so all these things are you know just very interesting for the em- cia will be here shortly <laughs> <laughs> but uh um, yeah and so for for mad max it was a lot of uh, two pans and and surdos and and um, so yeah I mean I went shopping you know in uh, Brazil Argentina uh, found a bunch in um, in Mexico also in in Europe wow that's so
2: cool. I, have you ever just out of curiosity do you know the percussionist Mike Fisher name yeah he's one of the great studio players of L A and he is legendary for his truck full of instruments and he and <laughs> right. you know Amol um have always been the two killer uh percussionists who on every tour they ever took they went when you mentioned those instruments Mike would say I'm going to Thailand to play with you know Larry Carlton for or Steely Dan or whatever it was and he'd come back with stuff stuff <laughs> yeah. keep some stuff so mm-hmm. next um, next picture so when when you're recording these drums you go to
1: a uh, a recording stage I imagine with with drummers and do you just do no, I do it myself. Oh, you do it yourself? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Was you, it every, just every drum on Mad Max,
0: was that you? hmm It was. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So, okay. <laughs> I, I had this, this idea from the way that, that I, I think we first discussed this, maybe for the movie, that you brought in some players to do, you know, bang on different things and recorded each
3: one of those, but that's all you. Yes! Wow. Now the only the only uh, percussion session that I did, uh, and that was for Hans at the time, Man of Steel. That's when we had actual uh, twelve amazing percussionist drummers, <laughs> yeah, like right. in in one room, just like in the square, and I was in the middle conducting the drummers.
1: Why is it important to? record yourself playing it rather than just use like a sample and is there can you control the the feel of the way that you're hitting the drums or can you talk a little bit about this
3: is interesting with uh, the the way that i work is that the benefit of using samples is uh gigantic on multiple different levels um, so I might get a little technical at this point, but a lot of people that aren 't film composing will understand what i'm what yeah. i 'm talking about so for instance, if you take like live strings versus uh, sampled strings the, um, the sample strings uh, are very detailed in uh, certain frequencies because they were you know recorded note by note and you, and you program them note by note. When you have a section of sixty-eight guys playing together, you have less control over that. You have less control over uh, how certain frequencies work, um, and that's the downside. The upside is that samples—it doesn't matter how good you program them—they will never sound like hmm. sixty-eight live players. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a enthusiasm, there's a, a certain messiness, there's emotion, there's uh, unexpected things that that happen with a, a live orchestra. So, but how do you take benefit from both of them so one of the tricks that i use is that i do use my samples um in the final mix where also the live strings are playing and then you start analyzing but what frequencies do i really need from the samples well primarily low end so you make sure that the low end is very well emphasized in your mix but everything above uh three to four thousand uh uh hertz uh, three to four hundred hertz you basically shelf out until you get to 8 9000 hertz uh, and then it comes which back up which is the low end the 8 to 9000 low end the, and no, then no, the high end. end yeah so you use the low end and 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 the high end. so where is the 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 live strings really predominant it's it technically in the frequencies that we obviously hear uh from 4 500 to like Eight thousand or something—you really feel like the live playing, the intonation, the emotion that's in there, and then the combination of these two with level differences and different sets of reverbs—you um, create a sound that has the benefits of the samples but is unmistakably live because the, the orchestra. Perfect t- marriage, exactly of, of synthetic that's super and orchestral. So, it, do you ever, when you complete something, you
1: record these things, you you lay it out on your on your uh, program, and then do you? go re-record the completed thing with uh, orchestra or are there certain parts that you re-record if you write something with strings or
3: no I mean like first I, I do all the writing with the with the samples in the computer and then you determine what you want to record with the with the orchestra you go in you record the orchestra and then you come back and then you start uh, processing uh, the files and then you start to find that really uh, peculiar mix between like what is samples and what is uh what is live and that takes you know quite some time i mean usually on a movie if i can uh i spend you know three to four weeks on that just doing that just in p- the so post the dir- editing
2: the directors here the your demos if they're really demos the suites are pretty much all synthetic mock-ups of where the queue would be and yeah. then once they're approved and it's all shaped to film yes. you then record
3: yes But, you know, there there have been uh, uh, scenarios, not with the orchestra. Well, actually, yes, with the orchestra, where I would have, um, let's say, an orchestral uh, session before I even start writing the music because I need certain Mm. tones that I just don't have. In
2: Uh, your library?
3: Yeah, to create your own, like, uh, toolkit, if if you will. Um, And uh, that's especially effective on... um, uh, horror type uh, movies where you need these really eerie uh, qualities of the orchestra, and when you're working on a cue, it doesn't necessarily need to be written exactly like that. So that's where the where the toolkit stuff comes in really, really handy. And you can uh, you can way better than show the director what you're actually after instead of like programming it with samples because it's tougher to to do that. That's really interesting. Everyone has their
1: own style, so it's always interesting to hear how. You sit down with your paintbrush, and if I'm using your canvas analogy, I you-
3: mean, I would say, like you know, where we've uh, landed now in in uh, 2018, maybe one or two composers out there are potentially exempted from from this. But I think anybody else, it doesn't matter whether you're paper pencil guy, whether you write on a piano or whether you write on whatever instrument, but in order to get your... Sc- score approved by the director and the, and the studio, you need to have some sort of mock-up, what, what they call... Well, and they know, and they need, know the be...
1: technology that they can make changes. Exactly. So if you're not doing it that way <laughs> and they it's want tougher. changes, it might make your life... Worse. It's actually right, right.
2: really important what you just said because so many young composers don't understand it. it's the varsity level of getting this done. They think if I... Hey, I mean, you must get this too. I always get these these emails that say, I've written something that sounds like movie music. And I, I don't even know what that means anymore. <laughs> right. And that doesn't in any way translate to building a skyscraper for a major motion picture, which is what creating one of these scores really, yeah, you can write a kind of cool thing on your brand new synth. Okay. And, or, you know, and and Pro we'll- tools. <laughs> and then what, right. It's such a distance and a lot of them don't understand it, but I think, I think you're leading the way also in a whole new level of an approach to this that's sonic as well as musical. I mean, that's so obvious, and I don't know if that was ever as present. You dropped a microphone on a room full of players, you know, Alfred Newman on the Fox stage, and you recorded as robustly as you could, and that went into the movie. This is a whole new universe.
3: Yeah, but that that is also um, a different craft and an, and a very old craft and uh, a very old craft and, too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and you know I, I hope that that craft is not gonna gonna disappear because it, like with all professions it it's you know you see it for instance in Holland with um, completely different example bakeries, yeah you know, every every town had like a bakery every morning you would get fresh. baked Mm. bread and it was like amazing and so well done and good and you know and then the introduction of the big grocery stores came Mm -hmm. um like the ralphs the albertsons the you know yeah. of, of this world and one by one they're gone you know and there's maybe a handful left in 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 holland that still have that original craft and and put the love and, and energy into it that artisan kind of thing exactly so and that's what film composing in the old school way will become you know just potentially in 20 years uh, I would be highly surprised if you just run into somebody who's like oh no no I'm I'm still a paper pencil guy. It's like huh. well good for you you know yeah. uh, but it, it's it's going to be um something else. And that was a an, an an art like if you go back to the first like groundbreaking film score Max Steiner for 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 King, King Kong, Kong and all the way up to you know the first uh, Star Wars with uh, John Williams you know that's a time period where composers in that world really perfected um, you know how it how it can be done with with all the greatness with it, and and you know John Williams is still carrying the you know the torch for that as being the most talented the king. The most, yeah, exactly.
1: When we interviewed you for Score, another part of our interview, um, this was what 2015, I think it was. Yeah, fifteen mm-hmm. um, is when you started Studio Time. We noticed that a lot of the the around the world there were fans both composers aspiring composers and just fans that were desperate for content from composers like yourself um, and for those who don't know studio time is the series that that Tom does you've uh, done two seasons so far
0: that are really it breaks down certain things that you've constructed on different films and
1: different your approach to different things which is really a, a really useful tool and I would it's think. it's super interactive too because you you put out little challenges and people send stuff into you I mean you you obviously have a busy schedule what inspired this? And, and why do you continue to do it? What, what, does, it, what does it give you?
3: Um, well, a- education is a really big thing for me. And um, comes from my family, too. My mom was a, a, a violin teacher and also a teacher in, in uh, general music uh, theory. And then at night, she would teach extra classes for kids that, you know, came from less fortunate families. And she wouldn't charge mm. any money for that. And um, so that's how I grew up. So that was already, like, a thing. And then when I was um, uh, 29, 30, 31, something like that, um, one of the bigger music universities in Holland approached me to set up uh, a four-year program, more or less models on what Berkeley was in in Boston. There was no such a thing in in Holland. So I helped them do that, and I was... uh, um, attached to that university for almost like 10 years or so um and so i quit in um somewhere in 13 14 and then i was thinking for a really long time it's like okay i want to continue doing something like this and yes i would go to things like usc you know to give like a master class or you know help out here and there and that's when the idea got born is like to do proper tutorials uh online uh so they not only uh, show the way that I work into absolutely into detail, uh, but also how you uh, build up your computer setup. How do you set up uh, your sessions in Cubase? How do you do this? How do you do that? It's really like um, um, I'm trying to make it like a manual for new, inspiring uh, composers to see what certain solutions are. Um, and what I say many times in the in in the series is like. I'm not like some master film composer or whatever you know that's John Williams or Hans Zimmer for me it's just I want to show what I do and then when you show what I do then you could say, the guy is an idiot. You should do it like this, (laughs) or you should do it like that. That's fine. And other people find it's like, wow, I never knew you could do it like that. And how to approach like certain things. So for me, it's really great. It's also super rewarding. Like uh, Generally, the the comments back are fantastic, and it's really picking up. I mean, some of these episodes have been watched like half a million times. I was going to say, are you surprised by that? We were certainly surprised by the worldwide reaction
1: of, of putting this movie together, but I, you, you're getting millions right. of hits It's, it's on part these. of that same
0: thread, I think, of a lot of people that are, are tuning into some aspect of that, that... You know, super creative film compo- and Now all these digital tools and analog tools, as we can see.
3: Behind yeah, I mean us. The, the the subjects just vary com- completely. From okay, how do you write for strings? And just like that's like a fifty-minute episode. Hmm. So it it starts from scratch and then just build. You build a whole piece ar- around strings. Then the next episode, for instance, would be. Let me take you uh, down uh, memory lane and, and show you all the classic samplers that have been released over the last uh, 40 years. And then I have them all here. So we switch them all on and we sample a sample. And this is what it sounds in the Mirage. And this is what it sounds in the S50. And now we sample it in Akai S1000. And now in the Akai S3200XL. And... People actually hear all the all the differences in, uh, in 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 the sounds. And then another episode I compare hardware samples with software samplers with with uh in, in in the in the computer and they can A B it. Most of them actually play it on good speaker systems or on good headsets and they can really and these you know, aren't
1: these aren't low quality productions. These look amazing. They sound amazing. Uh, you, you guys put a lot of time into
3: it. It's expensive to make, um, but it's a it's a labor of love, and it's also I strongly believe uh, giving stuff back to the community. You know, mm-hmm. the same community that has given me so much. You know, uh, I have a wonderful career. I have people that uh, buy my soundtrack CDs uh, that send me lovely emails or notes, and so I've, i I'm. From that um, um, generation, I guess that that you know I feel important to do something back for these people, and that's why these these and we do these studio time series without sponsors without uh without um commercials without uh anything so it's it's just uh really it's just cool, do that. you ever have mm-hmm. a
2: concern that you are educating? your competition,
3: that, <laughs> As that someday it should. As any, it
2: should. any of those people watching I are to come that, back yeah. and say, I took this job away from the guy that taught me how to write for <laughs> strings. As it should. Oh, that's lovely. Because it's very it, generous.
3: Because, um, um, it, but it's the same, compare it with, uh, with, uh, with signs and anything out there, you know, just like language is out there, math is out there, anybody can take those things and just build something amazing out of it that nobody knew ever existed. Um, so with music, especially on film composing, there's like little or nothing out there about that. And I remember, for instance, I was a massive fan of uh, Andy Summers, who was the, mm. the guitar player of The Police. Yeah. And I remember their first record came out, Outlanders, d'Amour, Moor, and then there was this little piece on the BBC where they would visit the, the police in the studio, uh, just a, a, a one minute, a little I, behind I, the I, scenes, I, a little behind the scenes, and then the the camera goes down and or the camera goes to Andy Summers and he's like playing guitar. He presses on a few pedals. The camera goes down. You see a little bit of the pedals. It goes back up and he plays some more stuff. That little clip, I've replayed on a VCR like so many times <laughs> to see what pedals there were it's and, all and, and, and what now. the settings were. Yeah, I watching mean, the I, sausage I, get made, people yeah. love it. Exactly. Well,
2: so it, it, it's... They were delay nice. pedals? Because, I mean, that was a big part of Andy's sound was kind of...
3: Well, he, had an, he had an exciter and then he had a yeah. chorus and then and a, and a delay. <clears throat> but um, the, 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 back to studio time, it's like the, the thing is like when it comes to education and when it comes to sharing uh, knowledge and even showing everything in detail how you did it, it's like you can show whatever you did, but whatever goes on in my head... To come to that conclusion to do that, um, that is something you can't really educate, and that's what we can't really do. So yes, I show in detail how I did Mad Max, and everybody can copy it. I show it in detail how I did it, but my brain is somewhere else. Um, doing sure. something else he's not going to reveal
2: that part of the secret
3: <laughs> you can't that's the whole thing well it's like, like
2: you could study a Beethoven score a manuscript you, you can, it's not necessarily you can axiomatic can that, Picasso, the, right, but, that the next thing you're going to do well, is um, compose make, like
1: go on uh, YouTube if you haven't watched Studio Time oh it's uh, fantastic Tom said they're working on season 3 and 4 now but get caught up on 1 and 2 it's really cool And uh, yep And I have a question, too, about uh, just approaching those things with fresh ears that I'll ask you in just a minute. Cool. So, yeah, we'll get to that in in a second. But first, it's time to play the game that's sweeping social media. I think we have to say it. Ready? I'll let you go solo this time. (laughs)
2: Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to play Name That Score?
0: Get ready to play Name That Score! The film music game where a perfect score means you, yes, you, could be a winner. Now let's play Name That Score.
1: That song, it always reminds me of Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, it that, is very soon, Farland. It's very family guy. So Tom, you've
0: done a couple of these uh these huge blockbuster movies in your your uh your career so far as a film composer. That's our theme today. It's blockbuster films of uh of the the 2000s from 2000 to 2018, I think. Is 18 on here. It's the number one film at the box office. So we have one For film each year. from every year. We'll play a uh, a score Uh, Five famous film scores in reverse. Um, You, Kenny, and Robert will all pick from three multiple-choice answers. The last question is worth double. And if anyone gets all five right, we give away a prize on our Twitter account, at ScoreThePodcast.
1: Just mention, hashtag, name that score to enter. And I will say, on the way over here, Matt didn't tell me what the topic was, but he guaranteed... (laughs) <laughs> that we are not giving away a prize this week so it might Ooh, be a hard tough. week well, well this, i didn't,
0: I didn't this, guarantee but i said i don't know you're you're that's a little then, fast there kenny it definitely
2: makes me very certain about my strategy well, once again which is you guys go first and then I'll have my answer after I hear what you if guys you, guess
1: if you would have given us the topic ahead of time we could have cheated because there's only 18 possibilities
0: I know I know you could and you've look you've probably seen most of these so uh, some of the clips may be a little certainly trick. hope so all right so question one we'll give you the options first um, is this from the clip we're about to play and remember these are in reverse is this from how the Grinch stole Christmas number one movie of 2000 James Horner Harry Potter, the first one, by John Williams, uh, 2001, or The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. That's the sequel from 2013.
1: All right, Tom. I we think need, Tom might have we this, need you but to ho- hold your answer
0: for
3: a second, w- Tom. What instrument was that, Tom? Can you identify? <laughs> Kenny, Robert. It's not. It sounds uh, like a reverse cheleste.
2: I'm going to go with... (laughs) Robert points at Tom. (laughs) I'm going to go with whatever Tom says. It's the reverse Celeste movie. Robert, what do you think? How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Harry Potter, or The Hunger Games? I'm going to say it's a Harry Potter cue. I'm going Harry
1: Potter also. That's what I was going to say.
2: Tom? Yeah. Harry Potter?
1: There it is. Oh, man. It's really hard to identify the notes backwards. That's interesting, right? The texture of that completely flips. It's hard. It just sounded like one solid noise kind of yeah super alright so
0: points for everybody thank you so much Thanks, everybody's Tom. one for one we're moving on to uh, question number two animated movies uh, there's only three animated movies in the last uh, 18 years that have been number one at the box office those are Finding Nemo Shrek 2 and Toy Story 3 Let Can me, you give it one the more time with the composers. composers
2: are going to be Finding Nemo's Thomas, Thomas Newman, Newman.
0: Shrek 2, Harry Gregson Williams. And Randy. And Toy Story 3, Randy Newman. Shrek 2. No one's reacting to that. Tom might...
1: I see no. a little smirk, so Tom, my... Uh, I'm out, I'm out. I'm going. <laughs> well, did you did you hear any of this when you were working with Harry? Oh, jeez, look at this. <laughs>
0: In reverse? No. We always bring up John Powell, because John Powell f- totally turned the tables on Kenny and Robert on this, and I he th- gave a wrong answer first. I think they I both have to bit, go... And then he changed it.
2: I think I have to go with Kenny as well, Shrek 2, because on either side of it, both Newman's first cousins... Um, have <laughs> something that, in reverse and forward, I always right in. Mm. And Harry, as brilliant as he is, that is Shrek Two. What? What an explanation! All right,
0: right. Robert saying Shrek Two, Kenny, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, too? Tom, no clue. Give, you got a one in three chance. Finding Nemo, Shrek
3: Two, Toy Story Three. I'm just going to say something. Finding Nemo. (laughs) Finding Nemo. We have a winner and a loser.
0: Our two hosts got it right. It's it's from from Shrek 2. Which I think the first one was Harry Gregson Williams and John Powell. And then the second one was just Harry Gregson Williams. So this is actually kind of a John Powell theme, too.
3: What year was that? uh, this is 2004. Were you were you with Harry during the strips? Yeah, but yeah, well, I'm. Um, I was not working on it, but working with him. Yeah, I was, doing some, yeah, some I was doing some. I was doing some stuff for him, like um, some reactor instruments in the on basement. It, and yeah, well, yeah, prepping some stuff uh, for him.
2: on Windward Circle. Yep, I knew it well. There was a sushi bar nearby. That's very good. <laughs> that was very good. I don't was a, it wasn't Finding Nemo. It was. It was Finding <laughs> Eel. <laughs> And Yellowtail.
0: (laughs) Actually, Nemo. i I got to back out
2: to get to my... I think Finding Nemo is a good name for a sushi bar. Let's go.
1: The kids would hate it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if the kids would go for that. Uh, All the millennials would skip that sushi. Uh, All right, question three is superheroes. This has kind of been the age of the superheroes in the last uh, uh, 10 years or so. Um, The first one is actually from 2002. Spider-Man by Danny Elfman. The Dark Knight, 2008, Hans Zimmer, a little bit of Junkie XL maybe in there, too. And uh, The Avengers, 2012, uh, Alan Silvestri.
3: Play that again.
1: Kenny thinks he knows go this. Go ahead, Robert.
2: <laughs> I I actually was thinking that you, looks, who looks so confused about what this is, would be. This is competitive
3: because you guys are perfect so far. So uh, Even in reverse, that sounds like a Hans Zimmer co-progression. And Kenny feels the same.
1: I'm going to let you go ahead, Robert, because we're tied.
2: <laughs> I'm going to go with Tom because he... Uh, I like Tom's. You're going. Point wait, of view. wait. You're going with Tom's answer. I'm going with Tom That's not answers. like you. Hey, Hans Zimmer chord <laughs> progression. So I'm going to follow Tom. Kenny.
1: I'm going to take Alan Silvestri.
2: Kenny. We live and die together. <laughs> thank you. Thank
1: you. Okay. So
0: it, you know, it what? still
3: sounds <laughs> like a Hans Zimmer chord It Yes.
0: It's very yeah. Well. So uh, Kenny's perfect so far, which means he goes first from now on. Definitely. Now he's the front runner. So uh, we're go- moving on to question four. A couple of these are, are, are they're getting tougher. So uh, question four is sequels: Pirates Two, Dead Man's Chest Two Thousand Six, Hans Zimmer, Spider Man Three Two Thousand Seven, Christopher Young, or Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, Alexander Desplat.
1: Oh man! Yeah, and I have to go first. mm Mm-hmm. Want to hear it again? Yeah. <music> Sounds very
2: Spider-Man to me. I'm Spider-Man, gonna go with Spider-Man.
0: Kenny's going Spider-Man. Robert,
2: dead man's chest.
0: <laughs> okay. You didn't even want to try to gauge. He, he just gauge sat Tom's back with reaction, a huge huh? grin after. Saying I think. That. I think Robert feels he's onto something.
3: Tom. I've had that chest. Two winners. Oh, man. Sorry, <laughs> Tom and Robert. I don't even know why. I just
2: Yeah, I heard that. Oh,
1: my God. It sounds so much different. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. This is one of my favorite Hans cues, too. Uh, Unrecognizable backwards. There was to, something in me. the kind of chromatic.
2: I thought... I, I, yeah, there I was a rhythmic Hans.
1: thing in there that was
0: really it yeah. made it stand out to me. Yeah. Uh, so. It's like
2: Led Zeppelin with an orchestra <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh question uh, our, or one of our famous lines from from the movie that Kenny and I saw a thousand times editing the movie. Yeah. uh question five <laughs> so let's see let's let's get our our scores first. We have uh Robert and Kenny that are now tied. Tom is one behind,
2: so but uh, this one's worth two. This Story one's worth double, <laughs> so it's
0: anybody's game. Yeah, but he has
2: a nasty habit of catching up in the final, <laughs> so catching up and winning. Uh, so uh, here we go. Question five: Is this?
0: Uh, these are the top three movies of all time, box office, not adjusted for inflation. It's overall, so it's Avatar, two thousand nine, James Horner; Star Wars: The Force Awakens, twenty fifteen, John Williams; or Black Panther, 2018,
1: Ludwig goransson I'm no longer in first,
0: so what happens now? (laughs) Well, I guess Robert, if we go by golf rules, Robert has to go first. He won the last
2: hole. I'm going to go way out on a limb because it makes no sense but say Black Panther because... I worked on Avatar, and I'd be slightly embarrassed because I didn't hear anything there that made sense. And I didn't hear John Williams roaring through that. So by default, I'm going with Ludwig.
1: I think I recognize the, uh, maybe even the cue, if it is Black Panther. It sounds like um, Killmonger's theme, if I'm not Ah, mistaken. The, The beginning part. I hope you're right for I the do sake too. of.
2: It's uh, pretty deep. <laughs>
1: All right, Tom? Tom, here's your chance. If you go away from us, you could get a two point Our options, here. again, Avatar, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, or Black Panther. For a fact, it's Avatar.
2: Whoa. Oh, no. We have a winner. Does anyone want to change their answer? I don't. I but don't. We do have a winner, so who is it? Two winners. Uh, <laughs> it's these two. <laughs> I was gonna change my <laughs> answer
0: to Avatar. You'll recognize it's a little bit longer clip forward, and I think the 808s kick in in just a second. Yeah, yeah, that was too recognizable, so we had to we had to trim that out of the reversed version. All right, so that now look, we got a tie. It's Kenny and Robert here, and uh, tiebreaker is worth two points too. I just made up that rule. I thought it so, was three
1: when I was losing.
0: So okay, it's three points. Actually, yeah, well, it's anybody's game. We got a tiebreaker here. Okay. Uh, okay, question six. Now this this is where it gets this is where
2: it gets really tough. Can I enlist Tom's ears for this one?
0: Uh, no. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, good to know. Tom can still steal the game here. So uh, I see. Yeah. Uh, so. Question six, these are all Star Wars movies from the last oh, 15 brutal. years. Brutal.
1: <laughs>
0: so uh, this might just be pick and answer. Um, but uh, the three options are Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith, 2005, John Williams. Rogue One, 2016, Michael Giacchino. Or last year's Star Wars The Last Jedi, also John Williams.
1: <laughs> Nobody has an answer <laughs> Why don't you just assign us all one <laughs> And someone will win Well why don't you, you guys can pick Star Wars
0: Episode 3 Tom, Rogue One or Star Wars The Last Jedi Wait why is Tom going first You guys go first Does I, it I, matter I have, I, have, I have no
1: answer <laughs> I'm I'm gonna,
0: gonna,
3: you, you guys can pick one I'll for take
1: me. Michael Giacchino Kenny's
3: gonna I'll take leave Michael you Giacchino. guys
1: the John Williams pool John Williams,
2: the last one.
0: Okay. So, Tom, I guess you're going with 2005? Sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you just find it perfect.
0: Can anyone recognize this forwards?
3: No.
1: Oh, we're going to get ripped by the listeners. <laughs> Robert's nodding his head.
0: And pointing at me. And pointing at Kenny. Robert, what do you think that is? Kenny won it. <laughs> Kenny won it. <laughs> Kenny did win it. That is Michael Giacchino uh, from uh, Rogue One, uh, who wins completely by chance. So our big winner is... What Kenny. a big big reveal. I know, big reveal here. Kenny Holmes. <laughs> Thank you. Basically, we saw... <laughs>
2: someday, I want to win like you do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was creepy. I'm, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, te- I'm telling you, like one of, one of my assistants is a, is a John Williams connoisseur. Yeah. And I worked with the director who was also a John Williams connoisseur. Uh-huh. And so I was randomly to play three seconds of any cue ever written by John Williams. And it took 75 questions until the one had it wrong. Oh. <laughs> wow. Like just like, blah, 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 blah. oh, yeah, that's the, that yes. and that movie, that and that scene, the battle scene. Like, really? And, and Identifying then, the scenes incredible. and
1: everything, everything. That's more than a John Williams fan, then. That's <laughs> like a John Williams movie. OCD yeah. fan. Yeah. <laughs> Steam, uh, Spielberg. What so, did you win, Kenny? Not that I'm envious. Well no one ran the table,
0: but as a measure of goodwill, maybe we'll give something away. You'll have to tune into our Twitter page to find out for sure nice. at score the podcast. Um, Tom, I have one last question I wanted to ask you. We threw around this a couple times but um, in in score film music documentary you mentioned the idea of goosebumps and when you're making a score, you, you want your music to be able to kind of give you that feeling. One of the the, the big kind of challenges with that is you're watching a scene, over and over and over and over and over. So there's a certain amount of are you going to lose that, that, kind of, that feeling of knowing if something does give you goosebumps or not. How do you try to keep fresh ears and eyes even in, in trying to capture that special kind of thing?
3: I usually go by um, <clears throat> first instinct. And usually first instinct is what, what is right. And then after that, uh, you switch that part of your brain off. And then it becomes just pulling man hours just to finish it, like yeah. almost like clinically, you know,
0: so is there any amount of time that can pass <clears throat> that you can come back and kind of and hear that
3: yeah so the, thing again if if um there there are like certain scenes I worked on an alternative movie um uh, two years ago um and um it was called Brimstone and it's extremely emotional music and, and what we see on screen is, is horrifying and, and, you know, heart-wrenching. And you can't take that in every time you play the scene on that same emotional level. You just can't. You, you watch it for the first time and then it's like, oh, I think I need to do this or I need to do that. And then you start writing and then the whole uh, dynamic between you and the film becomes extremely clinical, and then when you feel you're done, you walk away from it for like half an hour, hour, and then you watch it again with that open mind mm. and just taking the emotion. In. Do you feel it that again? It, yes. If, if you it, Well, the music hadn't been written yet, so that's the first time I hear it. And then I'll just make notes to myself, and then I'll work on it another time, and then I'll just fix it like really quick again, like in a clinical way. And then stepping back, and then watching it with somebody else, with you know a few of my assistants, what you feel, and then you kind of hear through the ears of them, and then it makes. Do more you sense. have
0: any sense of how often you can trust that that instinct? I'm sure sometimes you probably come back and say, "Oh, that's not that's not what I thought it was going to be." I, but that's I don't but, but that's why like
3: film it. scoring is teamwork. You know, if if, uh, if you don't hear it, the music editors that work with you might have a suggestion. The director might have a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the picture editor might have a suggestion what's better. Like, not everybody is at war power, for the full 100%, and you're not always delivering your best possible work. Sure. So, by working in a team, you expect your team to point out, it's like, that cue, you can do way better than that. Just have yeah. a look at that. Yeah. And, well, then, um, and, and, and then that… That's how it works. Everyone's different too. So maybe you are.
1: Maybe you're doing something amazing that you you aren't feeling. But then five people listen to it and go, "That's the, that's the one." You got to keep that. So every
2: everyone. It's actually, one of something. my favorite parts of working with composers is often more often than anyone would imagine. A composer will play all these cues for the room, the director, Mm -hmm. producer, studio executives, everybody leaves, and I would be the last one remaining with the composer, and often the composer would say, I have one other idea, which I didn't want to play in the room, and it's really not together, and it's kind of unmixed, and, you know, four excuses, and they play almost always the one that I'd say, that's the theme. That's the best, you know, because it was different enough or they weren't certain or they liked it. But it's curious how many times that would happen. And I always, almost now, when I work with an artist or a composer, after you are kind of done the main show, I often say, is there anything else? And they say, well, I have half of a thing. But sometimes you feel that you've written it but you're you're it's new enough or different enough. I don't know why yeah. that just was has been my experience often.
0: It makes sense, kind of a, a, a half, an idea that's halfway's there, and you can tell if it's not there, and you can tell if maybe there's something there.
1: Yeah. I had one other question for you. Um, the world of TV has become this big cinematic sound for scoring, and you've done a lot of big films. Have you been approached to do any big series?
3: Um, does that interest you at all to do television? Yeah, I do because I mean I. Primarily consume, um, you know, Netflix or you know things on uh, on my on my laptop. The various like, services, yeah. Just, just you know, um, in bulk. Because I'm an insomniac, so if I don't need to work, hmm. I just basically ram through four, five, six TV shows, seasons a week. What are you watching? What do you watch? I'm now in the middle of uh, Versailles which mm. is um a drama around uh, Louis the 14th mm-hmm. but uh, but I watch so many I mean I literally watch 3 4 shows a week mm-hmm. complete seasons oh, wow. uh, so uh I completely forget so if people bring up it's like oh I'm watching the show oh no, I don't know it oh it's about this and, oh wait I saw that and, you know <laughs> like it, it's too much I I just forget it could be a TV it. critic on the side no
1: <laughs> <laughs> not my job All right. Well, Tom, we want to thank you for joining us. We've been trying to make this work for a while now, and we know you've been super busy, so letting us come
2: here to the Computer Hell Cabin. We really appreciate you joining us. So interesting. No problem.
3: Great to have you guys here.
2: I thought it was inspiring, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the movie that you played us. Some top secret. Top secret music (laughs) at the beginning. That's going to be magnificent. Some of your best work. Christmas. Yep. Be sure
1: to check us out on our social media page. At Score the podcast on Twitter, and also go on to your favorite podcast app, rate and review if you like what you're hearing, and if not, just move on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or give us some stars just out of the just cause. kindness yeah, of your heart. A couple stars, maybe five. This is Robert Kraft. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Tom. No problem. I'll, I'll see you next time.